Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Well, how many times, Tutti Fruities, have I said thank you for being a friend at the end of one of my videos, at the end of the odd podcast? And now, finally, we have the chance to discuss it for realsies. It's the Golden Girls. Hey, Matthew. The, the one thing I have been pushing for since the beginning of this podcast, how many different strokes did I have to fucking sit through? <laughs> Until David finally kowtowed and was like, fine, we can do a Golden Girls. And after all the mentions of all the coexisting guest stars from Alex Rocco to Billy Bard, and now we get the two Davids episode. This is what did it, dear <laughs> listeners. This is what did it. Two Dennis episodes. The, de the fact that we had two men play very minor supporting characters on two episodes <laughs> of the facts of life. Now we get to do an episode of the golden girls. I don't know why it took that, but that's what it took. So are, are you happy? I'm not sure I'm, I'm registering how you feel about this. Yes. I just wish we could have done some better episodes, but oh, I like these. You didn't like these. Well, they're golden girls. Of course they're good episodes. Of course. They're they're yeah. definitely better episodes than, than I would agree. Yeah. Well, how many times I have heard the phrase, if you knew how many different strokes I had to sit through before David finally did what I wanted, <clears throat> I'd have a little chunk of change, my friend. So, yes, here we are doing the Golden Girls. And uh, just to reiterate, the reason for it is the two actors Dennis Drake and Jonathan Perpich are the facts of life adjacent quotient that is bringing us to this. Oh my God, the Gene episode. We could have done the Gene episode. That's right. Oh no. Lois Nettleton. We've mentioned her multiple times. <sighs> Nothing says we can't in the future. All right. To be honest, I was trying to be a little more of a purist sticking to the main cast. Oh, really? Facts of life. Really? Really? Yeah. How many times how many times have you suggested we watch that Stockard Channing movie with that only connection to the facts of life is the fucking bouncer on the episode where they take Mrs. Garrett to the strip club? Uh you never you always rejected that. You always said, no, I don't want to do that. And I thought, well, it's because Matthew has such integrity. He doesn't want to stray that far from the main cast of uh, Facts of Life in doing our TV talkaholic subjects. You think that and also I, I, I could go either way with that. First of all, you think I have integrity after the many episodes we've done. I <laughs> fascinated by that but second of all perhaps perchance that is the case because i was suggesting people like alex rocco <laughs> who makes 12 appearances on the facts of life yeah matthew you you're totally right and it's it's just been i, I don't know other than the the simple fact of i'm a jerk and kind of do what i want whenever i feel like it 
I, I really, I can't really argue this and say, but, but Alex Rocco, blah, 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 blah. Was the Alex Rocco episode of Golden Girls all that? Was it a good episode? Not particularly, but he is like, if the purist is to stay with facts of life. Anyway, the point is, David, not, not, I just, I don't know why you hate the Golden Girls. I don't hate the Golden Girls. This is, this was glorious to me. Like you said, these weren't the sort of greatest drop dead, oh my God, episodes. But watching these again, and I haven't watched them in a few years, because remember, there was that time when you were just flipping channels. And if you flip past Lifetime, they ran them 24 yeah. hours a day. I, yeah. I don't know why they even bothered to put on any other programming. Uh, and it, it, never a bad Golden Girls episode, really and truly. I, I, I genuinely mean that. Some of them are weaker than others, but the weakest of the Golden Girls is only that much worse than the best of the Golden Girls. Yeah. So I do not hate the Golden Girls, Matthew. Here's the thing. As a true fan of something, I can accept its shortcomings and laugh about it. One of the things I dislike about a lot of fandom is that they... People like people act like this person can do no wrong, no matter what. Like I follow a Lucille Ball fan page on Instagram. The person who runs it thinks that Lucy did no wrong in her life and refuses to admit that the uh, that the um, the life with Lucy episodes are hysterical for all the wrong reasons. The fact that Lucy is. In all of her scenes, I mean, <clears throat> like she then I lost it when she posted a picture of Lucy and Mame and all the comments were like, beautiful, gorgeous. She and was I'm the like, best. She was so wonderful in this movie. Like my favorite movie. It's like, come on, we have to admit when our stars take a misstep. So like episode, the reason I bring that up is because like you can like there are episodes of the Golden Girls that really are awful when you look at them. Like the Mr. Terrific episode is just practically unwatchable, for God's sake. That Um, one I don't remember. See, you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, even like you saying unwatchable, yeah, some of the humor doesn't hold up. Some of the jokes don't hold up, certainly. Not even the humor of it. It's just the ridiculousness of the episode. Yeah. I mean, were they important at the time? Like, not necessarily Mr. Terrific, but the episode where Rose thinks she has AIDS. Oh, Jesus Christ. Important at the time. It was one of the only sitcoms that made a, made, I think people realize it's like, oh, this isn't about gay people. You know what I mean? Like it, it was educational. Anyway, the fact that we had to do TV shows to educate people about AIDS, but anyway, or the episode where Blanche is gonna have a, uh, the party where Dorothy kisses Miles, for God's sake. I just, oh, so, yeah. I mean, there are episodes that are, that are painful. <laughs> yeah. But still have little, you know, it's Golden Girls. It's exactly, it's, it's Golden Girls. And uh, the deal is we are going to be talking <clears throat> about uh, Dennis Drake and Jonathan Perpich, who uh, are the two actors who play Dennis in the two episodes uh, I'm about to set up here. And they are the the husband of Dorothy's daughter, Kate. I didn't realize also played by two different actors. Oh yeah. Two appearances, 
two actors. So yeah. it's like, okay, wow. Interesting when they couldn't get both of them, they couldn't even reprise one of them. That's kind of weird, but uh, yeah. So the Golden Girls ran from 1985 to 1992, seven seasons, 177 episodes, of course, then followed by uh, the additional season of the Golden Palace, which often is clumped in with the entire syndication package, which brings the episodes up to uh, right around 200. So not very different from the facts of life. Um, I thought I'd just give some general thoughts about the series. We're already there. We've been kind of jumping into it. To me, it was looking back at it. It's really the perfect hybrid of joke-based and character-based comedy. It's definitely not like the sitcoms of today in the fact that it's not every line set up joke set up joke witty line witty line set up joke set up joke aren't mm -hmm. i wit aren't i witty set up joke set up joke which always bothered me about like will and grace so um yeah ken reed our close personal friend uh, has often st stated that in a lot of modern comedies he feels like all of the characters have the same voice all of the characters you could take the lines from one character and hand them off to another in The Big Bang Theory, in Two Broke Girls, and that sort of thing. Sure. And I, I think this is a perfect example of a show where that does not wash, where every single character had a very clearly drawn point of view, and that was the thing that led the comedy, the reactions and the responses and and so many of the laughs. The laugh per minute ratio is really, really high, I think, for for a sitcom of the era. Um, and the other thing about it that uh, I, I love, in addition to, like I've said, I, I love the consistency of it. I love the fact that when you tune into the Golden Girls, if it's one of the crappy episodes, you still sit down and watch it and enjoy a lot of it. You don't say, "Ugh, I'm not, you know, it's not like the Brady Bunch when you pull up a Cousin Oliver and you're like, oh, fuck this mm. shit. Yeah. But um, the one thing I will say about the, the, there was never really a dip in quality, but I will say, and I've said this before, in the later seasons, they did get a little lazy with basically giving Estelle Getty lines like, Blanche, you're a slut. Rose, you're an idiot the the thing of just explicitly stating it versus making a quip or a, a simile or a metaphor. Uh, so I, I remember thinking that even back when it was in its first run. And uh, and that's still to me those that is a little bit of a of a scene that shows when you're when you're watching them. If you have an episode where where Sophia says, Blanche, you're a slut, you know you're in one of the later seasons. The show was created by Susan Harris, and in many ways, she was the natural torch carrier from the Norman Lear sitcom school. Now, Soap had already been a hit. That ran from 77 to 81, and it I don't think it could have existed if we didn't have the Norman Lear sitcoms that also could have dramatic stuff going on. And Soap deftly managed to go from ridiculous broad comedy to super serious drama and i would even argue that the, the pendulum swing from one to the other in soap is far wider than anything you'll find in a norman lear sitcom 
And uh, I think that was good. That was a good training ground because in the Golden Girls, we have the episodes like when Sophia has her heart attack, when uh, Dorothy's brother dies, when, um, uh, I'm trying to think what was another one of the sad ones. When, uh, when so- Sophia befriends a man with Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah. And even when they go to the homeless shelter on, on Christmas is it, is it a, or Thanksgiving. Yeah, to find Michael Jackson's jacket. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. They go for the wrong reasons, don't they? <laughs> but the purpose, but the, but the whole lesson of the episode is they went there for the wrong reasons, but they walked away with something much more valuable. Yeah, of, of a weird version of Brother Can You Spare a Dime? <laughs> <laughs> but we also cannot ignore the additional Norman Lear connection of B. Arthur starred in Maud. Uh, back in the early 70s, Rue McClanahan was her sidekick on that show. So they both already had worked in this vein of sitcom. When I say Golden Girls, why do you love the Golden Girls, Matthew? Tell me. Well, B was a dear friend. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> um, and I, I honestly don't know why. I just, like, with Facts of Life, I, it, it was, it hit around the time that I was, like, aware of TV shows. And even as a kid, I loved B. Arthur's timing and her comedy and her presence i don't know why i was so drawn to her as a as a kid but i mean as a young gay kid she was a big strong woman so yeah i i don't mean that physically but like she was anyway but i don't know i didn't i didn't cuddle up and watch it with my grandma or anything like that like a lot of people say but i just i just loved the show i don't know why yeah. i i know i'm going to surprise you here but a gay white male um, with a podcast just d- doesn't have an opinion about the Golden Girls. <laughs> I think you have many opinions, as you've stated. Um, no, I do. But the thing is, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I watched it, too. And it was, we, we certainly weren't the demographic. I mean... We were as young gay kids, but they weren't thinking, now, what's the show we're going to put on for the young gay kids sitting at home Saturday night? Because none of them are popular yet. They're going to find their way a little bit later. Uh, So, yeah, it is weird. And the fact that it anchored this Saturday night lineup that ended up continuing to bolster and allow facts of life to thrive and grow and continue on, it is really... uh, it still to me is like uh, this show shouldn't have worked. I mean, there are other sitcoms that are just as funny, have just as many jokes and all that, that didn't work. That didn't get picked up for stupid reasons or did get picked up and got put in a horrible time slot. And the fact that this had everything just happened to the chips fell in the right place at the right time. Um, and, and the glorious cast. I mean, they, they are. The, the performances. I think as actors, we were drawn to it for the performances, Matthew. Well, yeah, there were four completely different characters. But I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what makes classic sitcoms classic sitcoms. That lightning in a bottle, isn't that? Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. 
That well, that and the rebroadcastability. Can it be rerun? Can it be shown again? It's and it is so interesting now. What what is the next generation? What what is going to be the Golden Girls for the next generation, or the the Seinfeld, or the Friends, or the Brady Bunch, or all that? Because so much of what dictated that to us was what the TV stations chose to show to us that we didn't really have a choice in the offerings we we picked whether to watch them or not but uh the this whole this whole streaming thing that the kids are into uh it's i'm fascinated to know when i'm a, an old man to ask them well tell me like what what is the show when when you were you know the crown what were you watching when you were a kid he said, well, when I'm an old person, what are you waiting for, David? <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah. When I'm an uh, old person, like the Golden Girls, who are only supposed to be in their <laughs> early 50s. <laughs> oh, that got us right to it, didn't it? <laughs> it did. Oh, did, did somebody mention age and ages? <laughs> Oh, Which, no, I, I love talking about this. So go yeah. ahead. Have so let's go there. Um, so here's the, the thing. First of all, I have to credit and I have to tell you guys, Wikipedia is a great site. And I always say, give them money every year for how often we all use it. But I use it so much. But the Wiki fandom page, that is the place you go where they have a full goddamn character breakdown of every character from every sitcom, everything about them that is canon, every single discrepancy and contradiction. And God bless it, because I didn't have time to watch this whole entire series to be reminded of what was clicking and what wasn't. But um yeah, in general, with the series, there are a lot of problematic show Bible issues. And it's still the old school of television sitcoms where it's like, well, let's have an episode where uh, Blanche's daughter comes and she's fat shaming her. Okay, well, what do we call the daughter? Uh, let's call her uh, Janet. Forgetting that they've mentioned another daughter named Jane. Forgetting that they've also given her five other children throughout the course of the series. Becky was the fat one. Oh, was Becky the fat, <laughs> fat shamed one, fat shamed yeah. one. Uh, so, and here's the thing. I know I'm getting microscopic here, but I've said this before. For all the storytelling, for all of the reminiscing and life experience that these women share with one another, Blanche has admitted she wasn't as involved with raising her children as she would have liked in hindsight. But we know that Blanche has at least five children and possibly seven, but likely uh -huh. five, because you can combine Jane and Janet into one child and her youngest, Skippy. We think Skippy can be considered a nickname for Matthew, which is the stand-up comic played by Bill Engvall in Golden Palace. So we're, we're making a couple of leaps here to whittle her seven children down to five children. That's a lot of kids. You'd think that there'd be more stories about her children, about passing that many living beings through her loins. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm just saying that 
And as much dick as she gets, that pussy must have been like a windsock. <laughs> After seven kids. <clears throat> Her vagine hang like sleeve of like, wizard. Like, like when the wind blows and you hear. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> And one of the other discrepancies, and I'm going to get into this a, a little deeper, probably too deep, is how old is Dorothy? Because it does shift and change and migrate uh, throughout the series, particularly with regard to uh, the ages of her children and the length of her marriage. We'll get to that a little bit. But according to Wiki Fandom, it says that uh, Dorothy's Bornak, over the course of the series, starts out as 54 years old. Holy cabooses, David. 54. <laughs> um, okay. Isn't it amazing that 54 in 1985 looked like B. Arthur? And do you want to know who is 54 right now, David? You Just mean, so you can compare in 2022 what actresses are turning 54. Other other actresses? Okay. I, I know one actor that's going to be turning 54 this year. Who? Me. Oh, the most famous of all. I know the most famous uh, 54 year old on this podcast. But uh, yeah, in two months, in August, I am going to be 54. So they, I could theoretically be cast as a romantic partner for B. Arthur in season one of The Golden Girls. Uh, does it make you feel better that you are 54 in 2000? 22 david so you could also be cast as a romantic interest to other 54 year old actresses like julia roberts is she 50, is she my age nicole Ki nicole kidman david yeah nicole kidman i didn't know is my age yes pamela anderson <gasps> oh my god here's a kick in the pussy kylie minogue <laughs> what and oh my goodness the wonderful vanilla ice oh i could be i'd be a romantic partner to vanilla ice and the one i'm i i am gonna really that probably is the biggest kick in the rubber part molly ringwald david mm -hmm. god damn right because she's a year older than kim fields that's right molly ringwald also born in 68 you're the same age as the wonderful Lisa Bonet, David. The the wonderful, uh, yeah. That those actresses, you take them and put them next to 1985 B. Arthur, <laughs> and she looks like not their mother. She looks like their grandmother. I mean, come on. Not to be sexist. Not that we're talking just about women's looks and everything. Um, Will Ferrell is also. Um, Jimmy Kimmel is also mm -hmm. 54. Yeah. Um, Deborah Kenny Messing is my twin sister. Deborah Messing and I were born on the same day. So there's another one. Lisa Marie Presley, David. What? No, really? Yeah. According to this website, but we've established, Google told me that, you know, the Nintendo system was released let's yeah. let's not trust google remember the <laughs> remember the thriller fiasco for god's sake so yeah. i i should preface i don't i haven't seen the birth <laughs> certificates of these people 
I'm just going by this website that I pulled up on Google, which also told me that Thriller was released between 1980 and 1983 consecutively. Yeah, three times over three years. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) But no, that was great. Thank you for doing that. That was a great little exercise in how different uh, age is, is handled in Hollywood with and without help and surgery. And make no mistake, B. Arthur has had work done at this point. B. Arthur has had at least one facelift. And later in the series, she admits to having an eye job, having something done with her eyes. When her ears pulled back. Yeah, there's like a zipper in the back of her head. But I mean, I've talked before about how, to me, one of the things about Golden Girls that was fascinating to me when it was first on is I couldn't take my eyes off of her because I was like, this doesn't, this almost looks like that woman that played Maud, but not quite. To me, B. Arthur looks so vastly different between the Maud look and the, the Dorothy look because her weight is different because, you know, the, the hair is a different deal and like i said she she's definitely had at least one facelift at this point and will have more before the series is over and i think it was judd apatow talking about um uh, uh bridesmaids the movie bridesmaids did he direct that no no it was um paul feig directed bridesmaids with Kristen wig and when they were casting Kristen wig's mother it ended up being joe clayberg in what was her final film role. And he said, one of the problems casting the part of the mother is they were seeing actresses who were the right age to be Kristen Wiig's mother, but they had all had work done and they all, you know, either looked too young or they looked too done to play an average mom of a 30 something, you know, baker, Kristen Wiig. So Joe Clayberg was perfect because Joe is one of those actresses who never had anything done and still looked terrific, but looked her age. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I, I've said a million times before, feud with Betty and Joan. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were 52 when they did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon were 70 when they played them in the docuseries. And they still looked younger and had to be hagged up a little bit. That's what smoking and having a scotch every night when you get home from a long day at the studio. That's what it does to you, David. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's the one thing about Jessica Lang's performance that I was always like. Joan Crawford had that buzz in her voice in the later years. You know what I'm talking about? The, the gravelly buzz. Like she was always a nanosecond away from one of those phlegmy smokers coughs. And, you know, Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon both, they're probably both, you know, vegetarians and do yoga and all that shit. So, you know, that's just a, a, a quality to her voice that there was just no, no way an actress could duplicate that without 40 years of abusing her body. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, is, it is something all right. So, um, yeah, anyhow, again, I repeat, thanks to Wiki Fandom because more of what I'm going to be discussing, I have to thank it for a lot of the factoids you're going to get here. And this is on the internet, so we know it is all true, right, good, and accurate. So, are we ready to talk about the actual episodes, Matthew? 
just don't ask the internet when Thriller was released. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, our first episode we're going to be discussing is season one, episode two, Guess Who's Coming to the Wedding, which had an original air date of September 21st, 1985. Uh, it was written by Winifred Hervey. This is the first episode that she would write for the series. Uh, that's because it is literally the second episode of the series. The pilot was yeah. written by Susan Harris herself. Uh, Winifred Hervey's still out there. She's 67 years old, sidebar, born in Waltham, Massachusetts, another mass hole. Uh, she also was a producer on The Golden Girls. In the second episode we discuss, which is at the end of season two, uh, Winifred is uh, credited as one of the producers of that. And she would go on to produce The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and The Wonderful Steve Harvey Show and uh, be the executive story consultant for 17 episodes of The Golden Girls and would go on to write 13 more episodes of this series. This episode was directed by Paul Bogart. Tons and tons and tons of TV credits. Probably the biggest thing he'd be known for, 97 episodes of All in the Family. Mm. That's a huge one. And I think his only big screen movie credit directing for something that was not television, Torch Song Trilogy, the Harvey Firestein movie adapted from his play. With Estelle Getty. With, uh, well, Anne Bancroft in the Estelle Getty role. I know, I just wanted to set you up to correct me. Okay, well, good. I'm glad I could make you happy by doing that. So let's do the synopsis and then we can just talk freestyle. That should be the thing. Who needs Google when David has Google? That'll, that's, I'm if you say knew that. how hurtful it was to me if when that, you point out all the times that I'm a jerk to you that hurts me Matthew that's just hurtful Could, can right. we go on please yes okay promise <laughs> Dorothy anxiously awaits a visit from her daughter Kate and Kate's boyfriend of six months Dennis when they arrive, they announce they are planning to elope to the Bahamas. In classic sitcom style, they say, no, don't elope, get married here. We're going to throw the reception in a few days right here in our living room. But with the wedding proceedings, Dorothy is faced with seeing her ex-husband Stan for the first time since he walked out on her two years ago. Will she be able to survive the day and not go crazy? Was that intriguing enough? Does that? Oh my God. Enough? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're, you're welcome. So, um, yeah, let's uh, kind of just talk freestyle about it. Well, it's, a, it's that first season. It's a much darker lighting than then later years like the episodes you'll notice go through some changes i love that there's so the the makeup is so much different like at some point somebody went to um rue mcclanahan and and betty white and said we don't need the drag queen lashes on you <laughs> like let's 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 put a smaller lash on you like you still can wear a false eyelash obviously but maybe not these for radio city because um, <laughs> like Betty White's eyelashes are just ridiculous in this episode. Um, but um, 
I just like, again, the sitcom trope of, I, I wrote down several times, like, who are these people that are, <laughs> that are in this house? That at the reception. Suddenly, at the reception. Right. Who, who did they people? invite to this reception? Again, because Dorothy's daughter, and we know that they're flying. It was a flight. And that happens in the second episode, too, that they live somewhere that you fly to come yeah. to Miami and visit mom. So uh, wherever it's like, who the fuck do they know in Miami? Well, there were no anyone their age. Like, so it was none of their friends. So I guess the, the girls were like, my friend's daughter is getting married. Do you want some free cheese balls? Yeah. <laughs> Come so on true. Over. So, so true. Um, so this is the thing that strikes me about this is this is only the second episode. And I'm always impressed with a series that just hits the ground fucking running. Like this, this isn't an episode where you and I are now saying, yeah, and they're still kind of finding their way and gearing up and they hadn't worked out this character yet. This is as rock solid an episode as any from the series. When you look at it from joke perspective and character perspective. Yeah, it's, it's quite, I mean, jarring in the best possible way to watch this and say, this is the second and this the pilot wasn't a one hit wonder. It wasn't a fluke, uh, you know. Other than they got rid of the fucking gay cabana boy, which I've I've ranted about that before. The the trope of the the, the live in housemate, even though they all are in their fifties and need to work and don't have a pot to piss in. And well, and I should have gone back and watched the the second the first episode because I know they go out on the lanai, but the background for the lanai changed at some point during the series because while she's yelling at Stan, all I could say was, is that the ocean in the background? <laughs> I noticed that too. I'm like, is this supposed to be water? For- Are they on the beach in Miami? Bitch <laughs> lives on the ocean in Miami. Uh, but needs oh. to rent out her rooms to pay her fucking mortgage. <laughs> they had. <laughs> That's a sweet fucking roommate deal right there, sister. Yeah, damn. So, uh, but but to see the show fully formed as of this, it was just like, wow. I was deeply impressed. And again, Matthew, I don't hate this show. It's actually one of my favorites. And uh, this was just, this impressed me all over again. Um, you want to talk about the fashion? Some of the fun fashion things. One of the most iconic B. Arthur costumes in the history of the show is in this episode, David. The mother of the it, bride dress. It's uh, it's not a dress. That is pants, David. No. No. Go ahead. Are you fucking kidding? No, I'll believe you. I will totally believe you. Who needs Google when David has Google? Shut um, your fucking mouth. <laughs> uh, that is pants. It's it's so flowy and satiny and pink. I I guess I couldn't look at it long enough because that and then the lace over shirt and how shape Dorothy. This is so so often dressed in shapeless things. Yeah, B. Arthur was a I mean, wanted to be comfortable. And she yeah. wasn't she wasn't about to wear a corset or a girdle or anything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, 
It's just like, she's just like a stick with shoulder pads and, and, and just everything hanging. And oh, that is, pan I cannot wait to pull that up and watch this again. <laughs> wow. But it's, you know, and then the, the low drop waist, it's just, oh, it's just, it's shapeless and unflattering to her body. And I'm not sure what, what is or was or could have been flattering to her body. It's, I'm not sure any, can you think of any outfit in the course of all seven years where you went, oh, that's the type of outfit that she should be wearing. She looks, her body looks fantastic in that. Well, I mean, this not oftentimes I look at a, a woman who is 54 and go, oh, her body looks fantastic in that. So, I, I mean, no, but I didn't really say that about any of the girls. Like, I mean, those dresses that Rose wore weren't, I mean, well, no. Rose's dresses were all the same type of a cut, though. Like they found what worked on Betty White and they stuck with it. I think Betty White found what worked with on Betty White and yeah. was like, this is how Rose dresses. And I think the same thing went for B. Arthur. She was like, I want a cowl neck. <laughs> yeah. I want I want I want, I want a boots. caftan, a turtleneck caftan. That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and how many nightgowns did they have? Did they recycle? Did they wear the same nightgowns over? Um, I want to say that maybe, I don't, maybe, I don't know. I, I know that like, I know that they like some jewelry and stuff would, would get passed around, but hmm. I don't know about, um, but I don't know about costuming. I imagine they did recycle the nightgowns for how often they had scenes in the kitchen in the morning or late at night eating their cheesecake. At the first scene, Blanche is wearing uh, a polka dotted sweater. Cause you know, when you live in Miami, mm -hmm. sweater, uh, but she's wearing a polka dotted sweater and uh, there's no blouse underneath. It's like a deep V. So I guess that's for slightly warmer weather, but uh, it has blue polka dots on it. And there's always the danger of the polka dots looking like nips. And they did not fall in a good place. They fell right in the place where it's like, okay, that looks like we're definitely trying to position and highlight where her nips are located. And uh, I could have done without that. I had a teacher in fourth grade that one time she wore a cat's t-shirt. Oh, okay. And you remember their logo was the word cats and two yellow eyes. Yes. Guess where those yellow eyes landed? Oh my God. On her. And they were like walleye cats. Like ah. one was like, <laughs> it would change out the day, like which way the cat was looking. Anyway, I didn't spend that much time looking at Rue McClanahan's titties, David. Well, Good I didn't Lord. want to. It made me. Uh, and the one other thing I want to point out is uh, at the wedding, at the end of the episode, Rose is dressed in the same outfit that she wore in the previous episode, which was, remember, the first episode was Blanche was supposed to be getting married and mm -hmm. Dorothy and Rose didn't think she was uh, making the right decision, but they were deciding to hold their tongue. But so already we're seeing that they're recycling. Okay, this is 
uh, Rose's nice outfit, her formal dress, the the mm. powder blue with the uh, the jacket that goes over it, and and it looks fantastic. But you see it in the opening credits every single episode when B. Arthur flings her into the closet. It's that mm. it's that thing. So, um, but I don't perceive this was like a Sex in the City where every single episode they had a new outfit for every scene and they never wore the same thing twice. I feel like they did recycle. Or a facts of life. Yeah, facts of life, not much <laughs> recycling these days. Okay, so um, here's the funny thing. The two actors who play both Kate and Dennis, uh, th their parts are so small and so utilitarian for the rest of the show, I really didn't have a lot to say about their actual performances. <laughs> no, I have no comments about any of them. Yeah. So in this episode, Kate is Lisa Jane Persky. She is 30 years old. She has 69 credits in a nearly 30-year career. Mm -hmm. And uh, she last worked in 2006. And Dennis is played by Dennis Drake. Dennis has only 14 acting credits between 84 and 91, but we did discuss when he was on The Facts of Life that he also was a writer, and in 2003, he wrote Legally Blonde 2 and Down With Love, which is a movie I think you need to see. We That came up last month, didn't it? The Renee Legally Zellweger, Blonde. Ewan McGregor, Down With Love. Yeah, Legally Blonde 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> So that's Dennis Drake. And Dennis Drake was on The Facts of Life in season eight, episode 11. He was the lawyer that Natalie and George talked to about whether or not she could sue Andy's grandmother for stealing her story and having it published in the local paper. So remember, Natalie was uh, kind of hinging her Pulitzer on that uh, tawdry Harlequin romance novel article. Yeah. So uh, that's where we know him from. That's the connection. That's connection number one to the facts of life, uh, Tutti Fruities and ladies and gentlemen. And uh, this is, I mean, this is the first time we meet Stan's Bornack, Herb Edelman, veteran actor. He would play Stan on 26 episodes of The Golden Girls. And uh, great actor, great character. I love that they frequently brought him back he was just the right palate cleanser, object of their hatred and insults. He was one of he's one of those few. What a gift to be able to take that part and make it him. I love Stan. Like, mm. and he somehow figured out how to make this horrible person lovable. And so. I yeah he's fantastic I wonder if it was intentional like or if, again they were like oh let's get a, a guy in here to play her we don't know how like they didn't know if they were going to bring him back you know what I mean like if they thought this was a one-time thing and people liked him so much they were like oh let's bring him back yeah because he lives in Maui according to this he ran off with uh you know and and left Dorothy and ran off to Maui with a stewardess I believe yeah. And so that's where he is. Dorothy calls him and says, come on over. He shows up at the front door when he arrives with a lay around his neck. In case you forgot that Stan left Dorothy and went to Maui. 
Because you wear, when you live in Maui, you wear Lays when you get on an airplane to Miami, don't you? Well, maybe when you live there, but I don't know if you wear them during a three-hour flight from Maui to L.A. and then a six-hour flight from L.A. to Miami. So I, I maybe if you live there, you wear them, but I don't know if I'd wear them for a full day of travel. Yeah. Sitting in my airplane seat with a fucking lay on. Get out of here, Stan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he was terrific. I think what the I think that the magic of Stan again was in the writing of in this episode, he's just a guy who treated his wife shittily. <clears throat> and Dorothy does mention somewhere of all the things they went through. One of them she says, when the business failed. That's kind of a little. Uh, a little tidbit dropped where as we go on, Stan, first of all, this marriage ends. So he's single again. He comes back to Miami. He keeps trying to rekindle his relationship with Dorothy. And he has all of these enterprises where he becomes rich and then he fucks it up and he becomes poor again. And he's just, it's just one of those like, oh, he's, he's not so much of an asshole as he's just a loser. And you know, and and th this is if this is his family essentially. This he comes there to be abused because they're probably the people who are closest to him, in spite of everything. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm fascinated too whether it was ever intended that he would ever come back. Um, and uh, so uh, we've got to get into the whole thing of Dorothy and Stan their marriage and Dorothy's age. We have to, we have to get into this. And I have so many facts and factoids in my head. I'm going to try to keep this brief and okay. I'm probably going to fail. Okay. What I perceive, what I believe happened is mm -hmm. as of this episode, they didn't have the Dorothy got knocked up at the senior prom part of the story laid out yet. At this point, Dorothy married Stan. They were married for 38 years, directly quoted from this episode, and Stan left two years ago. So as of right now, 1985, the Golden Girls uh, cinematic universe tells us that Dorothy was married 40 years prior to 1985. So which, means, which technically would have made her 14 then if she's 54. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's oh, what I'm getting God, at. What have I started? Yes. No, no, no. You're totally right. That's what's going on. So I think at this point in the, in the, the Golden Girls cinematic year, the GGQ, that we had, the writers were thinking that Dorothy was the same age as B. Arthur. Because B. Arthur was born in 1922. Can we call it the Golden Girls universe and call it the gag you? The gag you. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So 40 years before this episode would be 1945. Uh, we do mention in the pilot last week that it was a shotgun wedding. We do know for a fact that Dorothy was pregnant when she got married. So... Uh, number one, Kate should be 40 years old. The actress is 30. And secondly, B. Arthur was born in 22. And like you said, if Dorothy is the age that they later stated her to be, only 54 
then that would make Dorothy only have been 14 at the time. So that doesn't wash. So, so I think at this point, they were thinking Dorothy and B. Arthur were around the same age. B. Arthur was born in 22. So in 1945, she would have been 25 years old. So they were shaving a few years off. And I think later on in the series, when they had to state more explicitly, how old is Dorothy? They suddenly made her younger. And we talk about later that not only was it a shotgun wedding, but that Dorothy got pregnant at her high school prom because Stan took her and she was supposed to go with another boy and Estelle Getty sent him away and blah, blah, blah. So that is why we have the discrepancy that later in the second episode that you and I are going to be discussing, when Dorothy talks to Sophia, Sophia says, picture this, Brooklyn, July 1949. It was your first anniversary and you and Stan were fighting and you came over to the house, blah, blah, blah. So in the actual episode, the following year, they say that Dorothy and Stan were married in 1948. Well, now that shaves their marriage. Their marriage is now three years less. And that still doesn't quite wash because now that puts, well, that puts Dorothy at 17. I guess it kind of does. Anyway, the big thing is that one of the things in the show Bible that became muddy over the years is uh, how old Dorothy is and the ages of her children did not reflect that because we have another episode where her son comes in, her younger child, and it is stated explicitly that he is 23 years old. And that is three years after this episode. So that means that Dorothy, uh, Kate, and then 20 years later had Michael. Because if Michael's 20 years old, 23 at this point, 20, yeah, so I don't know. I don't think there's 20 years difference or whatever, but just FYI, this all is muddy. And this is a thing I've always been like, wait, what? And here's, here's the thing. Let's step back. Let's take a look at the big picture, David. The fact that all of this really does fit together, it's just the microscopic things of the dates don't quite, yes. don't quite align. That's actually a good thing. That's really not the worst sin a seven-year TV series could commit. It's when Dorothy says, well, I remember 15 years ago when I was in the Peace Corps in Africa, or I remember 20 years ago when I was in the Himalayas going to see the Dalai Lama. It's, you know, that's the stuff where it's like, wait, what? So anyhow. Their ages aren't nearly as important as the setup of that fucking house where the kitchen, where the bedroom, the first bedroom on the right doesn't have anywhere to go because that's where the kitchen yeah. is. So <laughs> it's so true. And meanwhile, behind the kitchen is a garage, for God's sake. So, uh, I mean, even though the establishing shots of the house show the garage door by the front door. Anyway, so, yeah. Yep. It's, <laughs> we'll forgive them some ages. There was a lot. There was a lot to look over. There was a, a lot, a lot there. But the fact that it still is all nearby in a clump, it's not completely wrong like like i said if dorothy said well you know 30 years ago when i was uh living in palatka florida driving a taxi cab it's like no no you can't be have doing that no so 
it's, yeah, it is a thing. I had to talk about it. I don't know if any of what I said made sense. It is such a garble jumble in my brain of, well, if it was this long, then if it was this date. And, uh, and on the show, the show itself at later times says that the prom was in 44 or 49 and, and all of this, this crazy stuff. So what else about this episode, Matthew? Do you want to discuss? With- the two last things that I have that kind of um, stuck out to me were what I call 80s tech. Yeah. Um, the fact that Stan has to take pictures out of his pocket to show people yes. his, his house in Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> and the fact that they're putting together um, little things of rice to throw, which I think it's now illegal to throw rice at weddings. Yeah, because it's bad for the birds. You throw bird seed now. But I thought that too. I was like, they're throwing rice. You can't do that. (laughs) The pigeons would eat it and then explode. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all I have about that episode. I don't have much to say about it. The, The trope of putting together a wedding in a few days where there is a priest, they did go to a church. They didn't have the wedding in the, the living room to their credit, but they were somehow able to book a church. Uh, Kate found a full bridal wedding dress that fit her. Uh, okay, like you do, you know, when you plan a wedding in three days or however fucking long they think that this is going to be. But uh, wow. Uh, and I've mentioned this before, and I I realize so much of this podcast is just me repeating myself, but this is the place to repeat it. The Golden Girls was filmed in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, and was written by people who have never, ever set foot in Miami or the state of Florida. (laughs) And Dorothy, in her anger, right before the commercial, have you ever met a man who knew how to push all your buttons? And Blanche responds, yes, it was a cabana boy in Pensacola. <laughs> you know, because when you live in Miami, you pop up to Pensacola for a booty call. Do you know how long it takes to get from Miami oh. to Pensacola, Matthew? Ten hours. Nine and a half by car. Close enough. Yeah. You, I will round that up and you, sir, are correct. Because you're going to stop to pee, so it's going to take you 10 hours. Yeah, true. Very true. But that thing of, oh, so-and-so's coming to visit, and they're bringing the kids. What are we going to do? Oh, we could take them to Disney. And I think Blanche says, oh, I know a great uh, bar where the sailors stop off in Cocoa Beach. And it's just like, what? They're in my... (laughs) Miami is four, is it four hours or four and a half from Orlando, where we are now? Like Miami proper, it's probably at least a good five. Oh, is it that long even? Okay. Yeah. And then the keys, the keys are like another, it is more, to get to Key West, it is still hours and hours. Pensacola is up in the panhandle, by the way. That's literally Southern Alabama for those who don't know their their geometry. Uh, So yeah, to get from the farthest point of Florida up at Pensacola, all the way to Key West, which is the farthest point south. I think it's like 13 and a half hours by car. Yeah. And and I don't know who the fuck would ever want to make that trip, let me tell you. Mm. Let's move on, if you are ready, to season two, episode 23, Son-in-Law Dearest, which had an original air date of April 11th, 1987. So for all intents and purposes, a year and a half later. 
We were at the beginning of season one. We're now at the end of season two. Just as solid an episode. If you told me they were filmed just a few weeks apart, I would have been like, okay. I I really was quite delighted to see, again, the consistency of quality. And this Kate, in my humble opinion, is a mu- is much better cast as the daughter of Stan and Dorothy. I agree. She had a little bit more verve and sass and, and punch to her. And the fact yeah. that in this episode, she and Dorothy are in conflict. You did need a strong actress to stand up to fucking be Arthur. Holy shit. I don't know if I could yeah. have seen the other Kate actually doing that with her. But and just facial structure. I mean, B. Arthur, neither B. Arthur nor Stan Bornak have chubby cheeks, for God's sake. Yeah. So I don't know where they got that little cute little chubby cheek girl. Yeah. Well, anyhow, this is uh, called Son in Law Dearest. And let me do my nuts and bolts. It was written by Pat Shea and Harriet Weiss. Uh, they are a writing team, clearly, because their IMDBs are nearly identical. Uh, They wrote for the Jeffersons, All in the Family, Happy Days, Lou Grant, Valerie. They created Archie Bunker's place. Mm, They're the ones. (laughs) Blame them. This is the only episode of Golden Girls that they uh, would write. And uh, this episode is directed by Terry Hughes. Terry Hughes is the John Boab of the Golden Girls. Of all of the episodes, he directed 108 of them. The next person who directed the most episodes after him was, I forget which one it was. It wasn't Paul Bogart, but the next highest number of episodes a director directed was 21. Like a fraction. Terry Hughes was the director of this show. Like like James Burroughs was the director of Will and Grace. There's another another facts of life connection, David. How so? The, the set for the kitchen on the Golden Girls, as we know, was used in the television sitcom It Takes Two, starring Patty Duke in the year before, um, which was a TV show directed by John Boab. Was it? It was. Shut up. The reason... I, because I pulled up an episode on YouTube to, to get a look at the kitchen, which I couldn't find one where they showed the kitchen because I wanted to see how it looked because it just seemed weird to me that they would keep a kitchen set and like what attach. I don't know. Anyway, it is um, weird, but it's God. I thought there were a lot of them on YouTube. I thought there were at least no, a couple. they all they all been taken down, I guess. Oh, no. But um, but. The worst thing about It Takes Two, the fucking theme song, David. Oh, my God. Is Oh, my God. I was like, who okayed this to be the the sitcom theme song? Anyway. Yeah. It's like this. Show me your future. I'll show you mine. It's like. It's just It's worse. It's schlocky and worse than. Family Ties. And Family Ties at least has a little bit of a vibe going, what would we do, baby, without yeah. a... It had a little beat. This was a ballad, a fucking schlocktastic ballad <laughs> of a husband and wife where it's like, Ugh. If you told me that was anyway. the theme song to the shitty Empty Nest with Rita Moreno and Paul Dooley, now that I would have believed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Bringing it full circle back to the Golden Girls. And of course, Patty Duke. Um, how, uh, what would I know her from again, Matthew? What would I know Patty Duke from? <laughs> oh God, we're not sitting through an episode of It Takes Two. No, no. Um, and Patty Duke, the mother of the wonderful Mackenzie Aston, whose praises we sing on a weekly basis for his work on the facts of life. So in this episode, the synopsis, Dorothy's daughter, Kate, pays a visit. Dorothy suspects Kate is expecting, but Kate brings the surprise news that her husband, Dennis, has cheated on her and she has left him. Dennis shows up and when he and Kate announce they are going to work things out and stay together, Dorothy is the one who has to struggle with whether or not she can forgive him and whether Kate will forgive her for not forgiving him. Ooh, that was a pronoun bloodbath. And also, Rosen Blanche, watch an I Love Lucy marathon. Get a little bit of a B story here. And a C story. Sophia has um, a fart and poop runner <laughs> that, that made, made me laugh every time it happened. So true. So. God bless her. God. And it was, they were all the biggest laughs of the show. Mm-hmm. And which just proves my point that Farts and poop, it's funny. It is. Never not funny. Um, Oh, I forgot to say, Terry Hughes also would go on to direct 100 episodes of Third Rock from the Sun. And that's Mm. like, I think they had like 130 in the overall series. Again, the majority. He has tons and tons of series in his IMDb page, and most of them are multiples. There are very, very few one-offs. When you got Terry Hughes, he was all in. And of course, our connection to the facts of life is that Jonathan Perpich takes over the role of Dennis in this episode. Jonathan Perpich, of course, was just Eric Sandler on the facts of life, season eight, episode 24, Rites of Passage two the one who was the potential love interest for Joe, but her future boss with whom she hopped on a motorcycle and was going to ride off into the sunset to her new job developing youth software in Los Angeles before they realized Facts of Life was coming back for a ninth season. But we just saw Mr. Perpich in that role. And uh, in the role of Kate, we were crediting this wonderful actress. This is Dina Freeman. She is 31 years old here. She is still working, 34 credits in a 40-year career. Uh, I show one of her biggest credits was she played Henry's free-spirited niece, April, on 16 episodes of Too Close for Comfort. That would be the Ted Knight uh. show. So she'd already done that before this. And so she's she was a veteran sitcom actress and quite good. Now, who is your preferred Dennis? to compare and contrast since this whole uh, TV talkaholics is about Dennis Drake and Jonathan Perpich. Whom did we prefer? Whom did you prefer, Matthew? Um, the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think I would have to go with that too. I think if we could have ever brought them back, I would have loved to see Dennis Drake matched up with Dina Freeman. So our, our first Dennis and our second Kate, I think that would have been the best casting well the second guy it's interesting because it's the same year he was on 
facts of life. Yeah, weeks. There's like weeks between this appearance and then when he's on the facts of life. It's the same. But yeah. when he was on facts of life, I didn't see him on facts of life as a schlub. But in this episode, I just felt like he was kind of schlubby. Well, he had nothing to play but contrite and apologetic and that. And I just I just mean like body type and the way he like the way he just was. Yeah, I don't know what the difference is, but you're, you're totally right. He's definitely much more fuckable on Facts of Life. Yeah, I don't know what they did or or if that was a conscious choice or if he just had a, a good hair day and a bad hair day and we caught it. But uh, oh, oh, and I do want to say that as Dorothy's daughter, Dorothy only has two kids. She's got Kate and she has Michael. Now, Michael appears on three episodes and all three times it is played by the same actor. And Scott Jacoby is the actor who played that. I just want to throw that out there that uh, Kate is the only child they kind of played around with here. But uh, there have been varying results with some of the Golden Girls children being played by the same actor throughout the series and some played by different actors. So um, in general, thoughts about the second episode, Son-in-Law Dearest. I mean, I don't have hardly any notes about this episode. So it's it just little things like um, the whole bit about the I Love Lucy marathon is just mm -hmm. fantastic. One of the best lines in the whole history of the sitcom when she's like she's like so who's playing lucy lucy plays lucy who's desi play desi plays ricky why didn't desi play desi he wasn't tall enough come on <laughs> that's brilliant. that's comedy i loved it when they had to clear out of the living room and rose is like oh but we're gonna miss it and blaine says well watch it on the portable tv in the kitchen and rose says oh but that tv's black and white <laughs> I do have a question about one of the jokes that went through and under if it was something, it's a, a deeper joke than we knew. She sees Stan, he's got his new toupee on and she says, with the new toupee, I thought you were Ted Danson. Ah. Uh... I, I didn't quite get that either. Ted Danson has been known to have a, a toupee when he was on Cheers. There was the episode of Cheers where he takes it off. Oh, was there? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. And like reveals that he is wearing a toupee. Like in the last season, he takes it off and, and reveals a bald spot, which by the way, he doesn't have any more. Yeah, um, on the good place. He's got a full <laughs> head of that beautiful silver white hair. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, did, I did enjoy him on Mr. Mayor. I wish that were a better show. Yeah. But He was um, genius on the good place. I, genius. But I tried. I just couldn't get into it. But when she says that to him, I was like, it, was it well known that was it one of those things like Bill Shatner? Like, did people know that Ted Danson wore a toupe? Or is it like John Travolta, where everybody's like, oh, my God, that horrible wig. Like, I didn't feel like that was like, or was she saying that toupee with that full head of hair? I thought you were Ted Danson because he was known for having a full head of hair. Yeah, I think that's more what it was. I think it was just because uh, it really wouldn't have been 
like the show. It's not like Ted Danson's toupee was a joke. I don't think, and not this at this stage. Cheers had only been on for what four years at this point. It's still Cheers had right was popular, but it hadn't become an institution yet. I think it was just um, him saying it's Stan with a new. I think it was just supposed to be irony. Oh, add the hair, you Stan. When you add hair to it, oh, I thought I was looking at Ted Danson. You are so fucking hot right now. Right. I think that was just supposed to be, you know, Dorothy's ironic. Uh, you know, no rose. Here's the lemonade. You want me to put it down somewhere? No rose. Go out to the curb and open a stand. <laughs> All of the no rose jokes. Yeah. The, there are people who have compiled them on uh, on YouTube. And, and honestly, when you clump them all together, you're like, these are kind of easy jokes. It's like, okay, Dorothy needs to say something and be a bitch here. And then we'll move on to the rest of the plot. And yet it's so goddamn funny. Jesus. Well, when it's like somebody like you tell somebody Olivia have de Havilland died and she was a hundred and they're like, Oh no, what happened? She was colonizing life on Venus. <laughs> she was, a, she was a hundred. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, you bring up the toupee joke and Stan, Stan is back for this episode. This is Herb Edelman's fifth appearance. And uh, he is, uh, since we last saw Stan in the time between, this is where his marriage has fallen apart. He has moved back to Miami now so he can appear on the show more. And he has started in kind of with uh, Dorothy. Come on, old time's sake, let's get back together. And of course, Dorothy is not having it. Later down the road, they will reconcile and they will almost remarry. I had forgotten about that part of the storyline. At this point, Stan is rich. He's invented, what was his invention? The Zborny. The Zborny. What was the Zborny? A baked potato opener. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So he was rich. And on the day of their wedding, he presents Dorothy with a prenup and asks her to sign it. Like she's in her fucking wedding dress. And yeah. I'm not against prenups. I actually think they're a very good idea. But the day of the wedding, so Dorothy, understandably, is like, I don't want your fucking money. Go suck a bag of dicks. I'm not marrying you. So uh, it didn't happen, but they got dangerously close. Well, they reconciled several times. During yeah. This, during and it was fun season. when they were sneaking around and trying not to let yeah. Sophia, because Sophia, you know, always calling him a yutz. Never not funny. Never not funny. Um, by the way, Matthew, Herb Edelman is 11 years younger than B. Arthur. Oh, my God. So he was born in 1933. If their child was born oh in 1945, he would have been 12 at the high school prom. Which makes him, what, 44 in this episode or something like that? Something ridiculous. Uh, well, well, yeah. Well, in, in 88, he would have been 55. So he's 53. He's like 50, 52 here. Oh my God. Okay. He's younger than I am. And with that full head of hair, David, I thought I was talking to Ted Danson. <laughs> Don't look at my bald spot back here. It's, it's, oosh. I want, um, I was just watching a, a TV 
the 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 last special that Norm McDonald did, the one he recorded at home, just like on his camera on his computer. And then uh, they have after it a round table with David Letterman, Dave Chappelle, Conan O'Brien, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Molly Shannon. Like it's a great round table of them talking about Norm and when he was sick and the last time they saw him and stuff. I want David Spade's fucking hair doctor. If if my situation continues to deteriorate, David Spade has a full head of hair. It is definitely growing out of his skull and it ain't the same hair he had on just shoot me. It's, <laughs> it's like, I, I want to find out the number of his doctor. Jesus. Um, but yeah, Herb Edelman would have had to have been uh, a child. He would have been Andy's age on the facts of life when he conceived the children who right now should be 43 and are not. <laughs> so Dorothy is dressed better. She's wearing a, a sweater that's a little more form-fitting. It's less loose. This sweater, very 80s-tastic, but it's got like this uh, so almost like a built-in scarf thing that wraps around and hangs and frames her face. It's a much better, more flattering outfit uh, for B. Arthur. And yeah, she was a big fan of hiding her neck. Oh, really? Why do you think she what? You see her neck? Are you high, David? Yes, she, but, but but she, she was a big fan of of outfits that hid her neck and her hips. Oh, so. It's like when you watch when you watch a, a movie of Joan Crawford, like post 1962, every shot of her, her neck is in shadow. Oh, yeah. But and again, fascinating. Arthur, once once you go, find that out and you see a clip of her in something and you're like, holy fuck, every every scene, her neck is in shadow. Mm -hmm. They would find they would find a way to shade her neck anyway. But, but yeah, no, yeah. but that's it. But that's also surprising because she's clearly had work done on her face. It's like, well, why didn't she have something done to her neck? But but then again, look at Candace Bergen and same Oof. same difference. Anyway, I'd rather not. <laughs> and again, we are not ugly shaming age shaming women. We're just talking about actresses in Hollywood and plastic surgery is a tool that they use and we all use tools with uh, varying results. Individual results may vary. Mm. There, I said it. Um, Look up the current Marlo Thomas, for God's sake. Oh, you texted me those. Good God. Mm. Those, are, those are upsetting. Mm. Um, I have nothing else to say, David. Well, let me talk about a couple of things I love that actually appear in both episodes. There are some great parallels here. Number one, Dorothy is the one in crisis. In the first one, it's whether she can survive spending a day with Stan for the first time since he left her. In this one, Ro uh, Dorothy is still furious with her son-in-law that he cheated on her daughter. And now Kate is like, it's okay. And Dorothy's like, I'm still fucking pissed at him. And Kate's like, well, you better get over it. And in both cases, Dorothy, the one in crisis, goes to her mother for advice. And Sophia actually helps her. That was really nice. We also have the fact that when we have the true come to Jesus moment, the heart to heart, in the first episode, it's when Dorothy confronts Stan and finally, for the first time, is able to lay bare 
her feelings. In the second episode, it's when she, instead of having a talk with Kate, surprises us and says, no, I want to talk to Dennis in private. And Stan tags along, but in both cases, these intense private talks happen on the lanai. Yeah. And in both cases, this is when B. Arthur pulls out the stops and reminds us that she is a fucking actress. Yeah. And I have to admit, I'm one of the people that I love B. Arthur, but I feel like her lane is very narrow. She has a limited, finite bag of tricks. And especially when you watch the show in binge form or in daily form, you start seeing all of the same gestures to punctuate the the words and the jokes. You see the same takes to the audience. You hear the same inflections of her voice. There is a little bit of because they were writing so specifically to her and what she does and does it expertly. Oftentimes she doesn't get a chance to kind of kick loose. And in both of these scenes, I'm like, wow, she is, I, I forget, I don't give her enough credit that she actually does have the chops. They just didn't give her as many opportunities to use them as they could have. Well, I think being almost six foot tall and having that booming voice you kind of, they kind of put her into those roles, but she would be the first person to tell you how shy she was mm-hmm. and how, yeah. how, reser- how reserved B. Arthur actually is. So, yeah. We have two possible firsts or indications of firsts that will go on to become very important in the, g- g- I'm sorry, in the gag you, as we like mm-hmm. to call it. Mm-hmm. Number one is when she turns to Blanche and Rose and literally says, stop watching that this is the time when you leave the TV and come into the kitchen because I need you. And they do. I love it. Well, they sit down, they get out ice cream. Mm -hmm. And this is the end of the second season. Have they gotten into cheesecake, chocolate cheesecake yet? Or was this still when it was just in general late night eating? I think it's just in general late night eating. I think a lot of people, I think, cheesecake is one of those false memories of them always having cheesecake that kind of came in. Like you don't notice when like they pulled out a cake or just a regular cake or ice cream. You know what I mean? I mean, it definitely was a thing, but I don't, but there was probably fewer cheesecakes than we all think there were. Exactly. Because B hated cheesecake. Oh no. Wow. Can you tell me, Matthew, what is the season where they do the flashback origin story episode? When Dorothy first shows up and becomes the roommate and they're all fighting and they're at the supermarket. I think it's the final episode of the first season. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's called The Way We Met. Oh, okay. So then I am wrong because at the end of the first of, I believe at the end of that episode, they're all like, well, clearly we can't get along. This is terrible. What a stupid idea. We can't live together. And then it's like, wait, what's this in our shopping cart? A chocolate cheesecake. (gasps) We're going to get along just wonderfully. Yeah. Okay, then. So the ice cream thing is just that now I'm like, well, why is it ice cream and not chocolate cheesecake? We know why. It's because B. Arthur hated it. Then in the bedroom, when Dorothy is getting her advice from Sophia, Sophia starts to tell her advice in the form of a story. And she says she has just woken her up. So Sophia is cranky as fuck. And I would be too. 
And Sophia is like, all right, sit, listen, learn. Picture this, Brooklyn, July 1949. And in response, B. Arthur says, Ma, can't you put a sentence together? You sound like a sportscaster. I think, Matthew, this could be the first time we get the picture it, it's picture this, but this is the precursor to picture it, Sicily, 1923. Mm. Do you recall if this, if that is ever done or used before this? Oh, oh Lord. I'm relying on your expert encyclopedic knowledge of the series, Matthew. No, but if I look at a list of the episodes, I would be able to tell you. Really? (laughs) Well, I'll leave it to you if you want to. But I would like to say to me, because it's not fully formed yet, because there's the lead into it. And she says, picture this. And then B. Arthur responds as though Sophia has never spoken like this. Like it's, it's a joke. And, you know, and I use it all the time, all the time I do picture it, Orlando, Florida, 2021. I fucking love that. I love referencing that joke. I can't think of one, but I mean. Well, you know what, Matthew, that's where our dear listeners come in. You guys (laughs) may likely know this better than we do. So, um, yeah, if you know that, if that was the first time that we had uh, picture it, uh, mentioned on a show of the Golden Girls, let us know. Or if I'm wrong, of course, you know, I want to know. I would love to know when that first was there. But I would like to think that this is a landmark episode. If you're going to correct David, have all of your references available for viewing. Send me the links, please. <laughs> show your receipts. <laughs> show, show me the receipts. In the words well, of the immortal Whitney Houston. I think in both the episodes, that person you see is closer to the real B. Arthur than, than her growling at her ex-husband in the living room. Yeah, the, those Lanai scenes are, yeah. Those are, the, those are the things that win you Emmys, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And uh, do you remember which season B won her Emmy? Was it season two? Um, no, I think she was the last one to win. You're right, I think she was. Yeah, Betty White was the first. I remember that. Yeah. And Estelle Getty, she won hers the same year. Betty White won hers. Same year, yes. And then Rue and then B. So B, it would have been for season three, presumably. But uh, yeah, with that, we have come to the end of the two Kates and the two Dennises on the Golden Girls, linking us to the facts of life. And... uh, Let's see. Final words. We already talked about, we, we both agree that we want Dennis number one and Kate number two in our yeah. dream casting scenario. We will be sending that back in the time machine to the producers to make sure that they correct that uh, in the multiverse. And uh, how many talkaholic chips would you well, give cool. these? It's the Golden Girls. Five. Five. If I could give it six, I would, but I can't. Yeah. I can only give it five. I don't make the rules. I just make the rules. And let us just say to our dear listeners that you are welcome for this groundbreaking, I don't believe ever done before, podcast of two gays talking about the Golden Girls. I don't know. Nope. Never seen it before. I think it's, uh, I think it's revolutionary. You're going to find this uh, episode to be uh, one for the record books, as they say. 
I'm doing a lot of Jiminy Glick. I'm doing a lot of you today. Honey, rethink what you just said. Anyway, continue. I would like to end this, David, with one of the greatest um, B. Arthur line readings in the history of the entire series. The series? Was it in one of these episodes? It was, David. <gasps> oh, I'm I'm thrilled that we we happen to intersect there. So give it to me, hit me with your best shot, and then we will sign off and let these people get back to their boring humdrum lives. Uh, I finally get to say goodbye, Stanley. Well, Dorothy, here's the thing. I said goodbye, Stanley. Wow. <laughs> the way the five octave range <laughs> i get to say goodbye stanley oh b yeah. oh nope it's it's really really wonderful cannot recommend them highly enough and the entire series plus golden palace are available on the wonderful hulu streaming service and uh yeah, with that, this is the end of July. You know, we sang a song at the beginning of May. We sang a song at the beginning of June. There isn't really a July song, is there? Born on the 4th of July. Yank my doodle, it's a dandy. Oh, for and, the love of God. Huh? No? For the love of God. Too far? Yes. Wow. Yes, Stanley. <laughs> Thank you again, 2D Fruities, for supporting the show. We love you. Goodbye. Mwah. Bye, David. Oh, so. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the fourth. Don't you call in the. More importantly, 